right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Dojo Talks. I believe this is episode number 74. And uh, today we are going to be ranking our top 10 greatest players. Um, okay, obviously these lists have been done before many times, but um, we've never done it on stream. And uh, it's a very classic uh, discussion. I think very important discussion when it comes to, to chess culture. Um, sometimes it leads to blood and, and violence, but um, if if that's what happens, that's what happens. You know, that's <laughs> that's what we're we're here to do. Um, so we're going to be ranking our top ten greatest players. Now, there's a couple different ways to go about this list. You can think about it in terms of of pure strength, but we all decided that a more interesting comparison would be kind of looking at players' uh, strength. Uh, relative compared to their peers and kind of overall uh, greatness. Um, so does that make sense? Is there anything you guys want to say on this topic before we get into it? Um, one quick note I could say is if it were just pure strength, like accuracy of computer moves or, you know, how, how good their moves are, then you would get a ton of modern players who learned from the previous players, right? So we're trying not to just give you the, you know, the top six players by rating from 2023 plus like one or two of the greatest champions from before. Um, so the, I think the criteria we're, we're using should basically equalize across time periods. Is that right, Jesse? Yeah, and I think we'll both all have slightly different uh, approaches to it, and we'll probably talk about it as we're introducing our top players. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I'm with I'm with David. I think ranking the top ten strongest players of all time would be a different list, um, but also that would be something that is interesting, and I think we should we should do at at some point. Because um, yeah, because that list is also yeah just depends. You could just look at the ratings, the highest ratings ever achieved, and that would right. give you um, a very close estimation already. Um, but uh, yeah. All right. Let's get into it. I feel like um, I set this up. So let's start with let's start with Jesse for your your 10th greatest player. OK, let me just say a little bit how I constructed this list. I think beyond my top three, which are mostly I think are not going to change too much. The rest is a little bit hard for me to judge. And I just want to say a couple things about how I constructed this list. So uh, I definitely am comparing the player to the time of the, the peer group that they were in and how they did, uh, how dominant they were and for how long. Um, also, I want to acknowledge there's a definite subjective factor that I'll call the Woody Allen effect. So what I mean by that is if you have somebody created great work like Woody Allen, but then like screws up in some monumental way, it's just hard to forget it. And so we just want to acknowledge that it's hard to forget it. So there is like a Woody Allen effect that a lot of these players have. So I just want to acknowledge that up front, that it's unavoidable. All right, Jesse, explain a Woody Allen effect for millennials. Just re-explain that. Because Kosia doesn't know was, who Woody Allen is. No, no, no. I, I, I understood. Excuse me. I understood. <laughs> I, I speak internet. I understood fine. <laughs> yeah, David, I thought, would be the one that's like, what did Woody Allen do? He like makes yeah. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Everybody understands. Continue. All right. So then the other thing that I uh, kind of in the back of my head is that 
when we compare players that were, let's just say, even at the beginning of my lifetime, it was largely a European, uh, Eastern European game. And now it's a worldwide game. So there, I think in my head, there's a certain shift where if the, like if your peer group is a couple hundred thousand players, then that's got to be different than a peer group with a couple million players. It's got to be. It's got to be. So that's also in the back of my head, also very hard to quantify and judge. So I just want to throw that out there. So I'm going to begin. Uh, one of the dumbest things David has ever said, and he said a couple, okay? It was that he said that Here Morphe was a 1900 player. Morphe comes in at top 10. He could be earlier. I mean, earlier in the list. And of course, before the world championship, but definitely dominant until the 1850s, 1860s. And one thing that's very interesting about Morphe is in terms of the world championship and defining the world championship, also understanding how great of a player he was, is that no one wanted to even, while he was in retirement going insane, having the Woody Allen effect, um, no one wanted, in Europe, no one wanted to even talk about being called world champion until the guy was dead. Okay. So uh, also, maybe actually I want to add one more thing about how I judge these things or it's unavoidable is do I understand the contribution to the game that they made? And uh, I talked a little bit about Morphe in the review I did of Reddy's Modern Ideas in Chess, but definitely let's talk about development and active pieces as a, as a crucial contribution to the game of chess. All right, I'm moving. I'll let, I'm handing it over to you. I, I just, I, I want to quickly, before I get into my, People say this, Jesse. I don't think I ever said that Morphe was 1900 strength. I would estimate him, not not super scientifically, but I would estimate him at around like a FIDE 2100 level of play in, in the games that he played. Not not 1900. I don't think I ever said that. Now, it is true that FIDE 2000s and 2100 seem to be getting better and better. So maybe at some point, <laughs> I'll have to say that they've surpassed him. All right, that out of the way. Uh, here's how I kind of picked my top 10. The number one criteria I looked for was the strength gap between the player and their contemporaries. That was my number one factor, you know, like by how much are you better than the other players in your age? By five points, by 10 points, can you beat them two to one or two and a half to one half, et cetera? Of course, moderating that a little bit because in ancient times there was such a lack of competition now there's a lot of competition and obviously it's harder to to score the same kind of percentages and uh, if you look at the gap between let's say a 2100 and a 2000 versus a 2600 and 2700 which you would do across you know 130 years of chess history you, you'll see that just the percentage you can rack up decreases um, for a similar skill gap. So that was my first criteria. My second is uh, longevity. So it's like if you've got two players that had a similar advantage over other players of their time, then the player who dominated for longer would um, would be there. And then um, as sort of a tiebreaker, maybe contributions to chess comes in eventually. So, um, you know, if somebody really came up with new ideas, you know, like like, for example, Sveshnikov would be a grandmaster who might rank higher than other grandmasters of his rating because he had some really exceptional contributions to the game. Um, 
And then, you know, it could be little things like were they good at matches and at tournaments and et cetera, all around kind of stuff. So my number 10 with all of that is uh, somebody who's proven to be a really not good human, I guess, but still a, a darn fine chess player. I mean, incredible chess player. Um, Anatoly Karpov, number 10 for me. So let me just say, actually, for the people listening, just to clarify, we're going to all give our top 10 list and then average out our rankings to see like who we kind of, as a consensus, think are the 10 greatest. Um, my 10th is... Sorry, be... Kostya, can I just say like mm-hmm. one or two nice things about Karpov's play before we go on? Just for Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Really yeah, know the historical. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So he was world champion, um, which is one thing that pretty much to be on my list, you had to be world champion. Because um, otherwise, what's the strength gap? It's against you, right? <laughs> so he was world champion. Um, he came between Fisher and Kasparov. And, um, you know, he edged out Korchnoi by not too much. So the gap wasn't huge. Um, in their matches, but uh, Karpov was good for a really long period of time. He was number two to Kasparov for a very long time. Um, so I also count that in terms of longevity and like the the power that he had, right? Was that he was performing at a very high level for a long time, even though he wasn't still world champion because another great player came along. I passed the ball. Yeah, yeah, no, um, by, by all means, I'm sure, I'm sure he's going to be on, on all of our lists. Um, but uh, yeah, um, my number ten is uh, Morphe. I'm uh, I'm with I'm with Jesse on on this one. Um, first, let me say that uh, my criteria was actually very similar to David's. I think David explained a kind of my thought process really well. Uh, for me, it's just all about strength compared to the peers, um, how long they're at the top. And then also contribution to the game, I think, is is pretty important. And uh, yeah, Morphe was just incredibly good compared to those around him. Um, and there were also good players around his time. Like uh, Anderson was very good. Paulson was good. Like there were like really good players. But even despite that, he still managed to to dominate them um, and uh, and score really really well. So um, yeah, I would rank him higher based on just like how good he was compared to everyone else. But like. Okay, it was unofficial times. It was like Wild Wild West. Like, who knows what was happening uh, back then? So, uh, <laughs> with that in mind, I don't know. I couldn't really bring myself to to rank him higher. But um, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, you guys want to do a uh, snake draft? <laughs> sure. But let me just say one thing yeah. I like about you, Kostya. I like the fact that you've played through enough of Paulson's games to have an opinion about the dude. That's something I've always liked about you. Carry Thank on. you. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I think everyone should. Um, I did a nice video for, I think, Lee Chess's YouTube channel on some of like mm-hmm. the classic players, and Paulson was one of them. And yeah. Uh, yeah, the dude basically like invented a bunch of Sicilians that we know today. He was like the first to play the dragon, first to play like Nidor structures. Like, yeah, uh, super good, super good. Yeah, he should be number one. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, my ninth pick is um, a pretty modern player, um, and um, I almost forgot about him because he—he's technically, you know, he's, he's still very much, very much playing. 
Um, but I feel like he's already achieved so much that he he has to be on this list. Um, and that's Vichy Anand. Uh, I think you could even place him higher. Maybe I think that wouldn't be wouldn't be unreasonable. But uh, he's already achieved a ton. He's won a bunch of world championships, like every single format. I think for me, the reason he's not um, even higher is I feel like he was never like a dominant, like clear number one player in the world for for that long. Maybe he was for like a, a small stretch of time, but I feel like he was never just a very clear. Uh, number one but i feel like he's pretty much accomplished um everything you you could in chess so uh my number nine emmanuel lasker um he may be the person who held the official chess championship title for the longest time of anyone um but what what i would say is fairly well known to mitigate that is that he was hard to pin down for a match um so there was no regular match system. He got to pick who he played against um, so he could dodge the most dangerous adversaries. So he extended that that time period um, strategically off the board rather than on the board. Um, still, I mean, he was a world champion. He defeated his predecessor uh, convincingly. And uh, he was a very strong player for a long time, even if at some point he was world champion and really maybe the third best player in the world or something like that. That's still really good when you're 60, right? So um, so I think he has, um, yeah, I mean, I think he played really well for a really long time. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I feel like, okay, Lasker, I was looking into him a little bit, like doing research for this. And uh, I think it is fair, fair critique of him that he was he was dodging some players. But okay, he beat Steinitz, he beat Janowski in a match, he beat Schlechter, um, he beat Tarash like really convincingly. So he definitely beat a good chunk of players. But yeah, towards the later years, like yeah, wasn't playing Capablanca, wasn't playing Alakine, like <laughs> so. Yeah, but uh, I feel like I don't know. Uh, he gets a lot of hate for that, but I don't know. I, I mean, yeah, super strong. Yeah, I'm not trying to hate on him. I'm just saying, like, I'm not taking those years as at fully face value as like him being number one in the world for 30 years. Um, you know, he was maybe number one in the world for 15 years, which is still amazing, but you know, more in line with some of the other players on this list. Mm -hmm. Jesse, okay. what do you think? Well, as a segue, uh, the person to whom Lasker gave the world championship. He didn't even say, he was just like, boss, you can have it. I've had it enough. You guys are talking about dodging. He was just like, boss, you can have it. You can have it. He just gave it to Capablanca. We'll talk a little bit more about Lasker later, but let's say that was 1921 where he gives it to Capablanca. And then uh, 1924, kills everybody. Kills everybody. Alakine yeah. Capablanca wipes them as an old man. Yeah. And then even in the 30s, he's wiping people. So we're going to talk more about Lasker in a little bit. Um, Capablanca, amazing talent. I could argue the, the most talented player ever in terms of raw talent. Um, definitely um, when we think about clean endgame play and planning and understanding where the pieces go, he's the dude you're going to talk about. And um, kind of set 
a style of play that people continue to emulate today. So, for example, I would say Wesley So is in this tradition of the Capablanca players. Um, and uh, also in Modern Ideas in Chess, there's kind of an interesting take that Reddy has where if you think about the school of Morphe with development that Capablanca is coming along and at a, at a higher level is recognizing it's not just development for development's sake, but for a deeper sense of what's going on in the game for uh, abstract advantages that it might seem natural now, but uh, I think for the players of the day, it was very uh, unnatural to not develop a piece when it seemed like the obvious thing to do and instead play for something a little bit deeper in the position that the players of this time didn't even understand what the guy was doing. So there he is, uh, Capablanca. He could have uh, been, you know, obviously we have to mention World War I. We're going to talk about Alakine later. Uh, so that kind of prevented him from doing a match with Alaska earlier. Arguably, he could have held on longer than, you know, he was there from um, 21 to 27. Uh, but yeah, number nine for sure. Cool. You get oh, and I get, I get to go again. Mm -hmm. Well, that gives us a nice, me a nice segue. We're, this is called the snake draft. We wrap around back and forth. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I'm going for Alakine. I cannot pronounce the guy's name right. Don't do it. Um, and um, <laughs> yeah, Alakine's a very interesting player, um, where like Capablanca, really founded a new way of playing the game for initiative. And there were, of course, many attacking players in the 1800s. Um, we usually call them the Romantic School, but Alakine took it to a new level in terms of really delving deep into what we now think of as calculation and analysis. It might seem obvious, but even when you look at modern ideas in chess, I was going to talk about both Capablanca, Alakine, and uh, Lasker. One of the things that's obvious is the players of that day did not respect the value of deep calculation work. And so Alakine was one of the first people to really bring that um, and, and marry it with this approach of initiative and attack that, you know, later we're going to talk about, uh, in, I mean, we might not talk about here, but in terms of a school, we're going to think, of, and we can think about Tall and Kasparov and Little Bit Fisher. All of this comes from this Alakine strand of play uh, from that period in the 20s and 30s. Cool. Yeah. Solid pick. All right, David. You're oh, yeah. Eight. Sorry. On me. Um, my next one after Lasker. And uh, I was I was even moving this while you guys were were talking. Um, <laughs> initially, I had him one or two spots higher and I might move him again while we're doing the show. <laughs> but um, I've got Steinitz here. Um, and uh well steinitz one thing to know about him is he played both in the romantic you know anderson morphy style and he invented his own sort of plotting style that he's famous for um he rose to be number one or number two in the world with the romantic style you know just depending on whether or not you count Morphy, who was technically technically still alive but retired, right? But Steinitz was either number one or number two to Morphy, and then he was again number one with his with the second style that he revealed. Um, 
he was a top player in the world for a really long time. Like he was playing world championship matches in his like 50s to 60s. Um, so he has good longevity. Um, you could mitigate his dominance by the fact that he didn't have a great record of like winning tournaments. So although he won matches against all the top players um, of his day, other than Morphe, who he didn't get to play with, um, in tournaments, he was not consistent, not in the way that, you know, Karpov. <laughs> Karpov's maybe somebody who won the most tournaments of any player, I don't know, but certainly won a ton of them, right? He's up there, yeah. Um, but Steinitz, you'll see his record was really, really inconsistent. Um but uh, but he also had lots of contributions to chess. So that's a little bit of like a tiebreaker in his favor, I think, as well, that he contributed some pretty significant developments to chess. You know, one of the top maybe five contributors to chess in, in history for development of, of the game. Theory and so forth. Oh, well, um, I'll be honest, Steinitz is not on my list. I thought about him. I think he might be number 11 or 12 for me. Mm -hmm. For me, I feel like he was uh, kind of suffered a bit from not having super strong competition at the time that he was like his strongest. Because mm -hmm. like, I feel like, yeah, he um, didn't quite get a chance to like dominate maybe as some of the other players. But yeah, uh, you know, there's a really weird thing, Kostya, that which is that around his prime, he didn't play much for almost 10 years. Mm -hmm. And and at that day and age, people's prime was often later than it is now, right? Um, yeah. So, I mean, his prime years might have been when he was around 40. And from about age 40 to 49 or something like that, he was basically a chess journalist mm -hmm. <laughs> and was was like engaged in other activities and not playing very much. So he missed some of his best years. But when he came back in his 50s, he still won matches against like Chigorin and, you know, pretty, pretty good competition. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, all right. And like, I just want to say, I wanted to say this up top, but whenever we do these lists, there's always people that are like, I feel like we left out certain players or our lists are wrong and that's fine. I mean, everyone can have their own opinions. It's just that sometimes people get like upset, you know, when their lists don't match our lists. <laughs> it's like, I hope everyone just like calms down and, um, I'm going to be, I'm already a little upset. Go oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, um, all right. I'll go with my <laughs> number eight pick then. I'm um, going with another another copy paste. Going to be Capablanca um, for number eight for me. Um, I think Jesse already said all the important stuff. You know, he's a great champion. He wasn't um, a champion for a super long time, but um, yeah, I feel like he he definitely deserves to be on this list and. Uh, yeah, especially like his style of play, I feel like was uh, extremely influential. Like a lot of uh, even modern grandmasters say they like grew up, you know, studying his games uh, specifically and uh, and really taking a lot from from his play. Um, so, yeah, Kappa, definitely um, a big pick uh, here for me. Um, shall I do number seven? You got it, buddy. That's the rules. All right. <laughs> Number seven. I'm going with um, Lasker. So, yeah, I feel like Lasker uh, was super strong. And I, I do think he he won a ton of stuff, won a ton of matches. 
Um, did duck some guys, I think, later on. But um, yeah, I mean, just uh, amazing champion and um, very, very influential player, like big fighter. Um, they called him the, the psychologist. I think that was Kasparov's kind of reading of him that like he would kind of play in different styles. And uh, oh, he also won a match against Marshall, I think. Um, and really like dominated him. And Marshall, I mean, was was very strong. So um, yeah, Lasker, I think just a fantastic player. And uh, I think honestly, we should, we should have more, we should know more about him. We should have more content about like his games and stuff. Because um, yeah, I feel like we're missing a lot of culture actually in like the dojo and stuff. <laughs> I feel like we need, we need a lot more um, of, of their games in our, in our program anyway and we, we've got somebody in chat who likes you Kostya, but is upset that anand is at number nine and says anand needs to be number two or number three from which we can easily deduce ant magical's national origins <laughs> um in fact perhaps even his hometown you would almost have to be from chennai to think that anand is number two in Ouch. history um, <laughs> all right my number seven Jeez. <laughs> my number seven is uh capablanca thanks for taking the heat off of me <laughs> yeah <laughs> and um yeah as you said capablanca good jesse pointed out that he didn't win the world championship it was given to him by lasker but he did play a match with lasker that he won right jesse it was just that lasker like formally resigned the title to him and then played him insisted on playing him as challenger rather than as defending world champion it was a weird thing man. it was a weird thing lasker had some slightly weird points to him probably off the board right um and capablanca had been trying to negotiate that match with him for about 14 years something like that um so <laughs> so it was tricky um but um yeah, I mean, I think he played really well, and I think his his performance seemed really dominant for a while. And uh, when Aliyah beat him, I think it was a, uh, I think most people at the time considered it a big surprise, um, because Capablanca was so incredibly good. He was one of the first players that was kind of unbeatable, shall we say, or had that unbeatable aura, right? Because if you consider like Steinitz versus Lasker or something like that, even if you were the better player. The better player would often lose a bunch of games, right? Like Steinitz Lasker was probably ten wins for the winner for for Lasker and five wins for Steinitz or something like that, you know. And Capablanca went years without losing a game, right? Just which was just a new thing that you could have that kind of defensive technique uh, to be impervious to losing. Um, yeah, so that was kind, kind of, of a um, right. He kind of like famously got bored. He was like, "All right, guys, that's enough." Like no one can beat me, you know. <laughs> yes. like, I mean, he started suggesting like chess variants, right? Because he was like, "All right, you know, I'm <laughs> we're done yeah. here." Yeah. So he was. So he was fantastic. I put him at number seven, um, just because there are even better players, right? I hear some people saying like, "How could Kappa not be in the top five? But it's the same reason for Anand or or anybody else, right? There's so many good players. We've got at least. 14 15 16 17 world champions um yeah 
they I always start from Gary being. <laughs> I always start from Gary being number thirteen, right? So you've got at least seventeen world champions. You're going to have dominant players who are not in the top five of all time. That's just how it is. And let's be real, there are some weaker world champions. I'm sorry to say, I have a ton of respect <laughs> for all these guys. But yeah, there are some world champions that were not around for very long. You know, they just happened to win one time. You know? <laughs> but uh, anyway, maybe at the end of this, we'll all, before we do the final tally, we can say which one we felt was the worst pick of our associates here. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Good. <laughs> you can all do right, that segment, seven. Jesse, on both of us. I don't <laughs> feel any need to yet. So number seven, Steinitz, um, it was hard for me as a kid to understand or appreciate Steinitz um, because a lot of the play seemed foreign to me. But um, not only was this guy incredibly dominant, but it, and it's also hard to appreciate, but it's probably the most influential player of all time. And just to put it in perspective, the guy grew up with the romantics, could play chess like that, and then did this remarkable shift. And to put it, just to put a, to paint a picture, like the chess playing public was so pissed off at the way he shifted to a positional style of play. They were so infuriated that it was like, it's hard to imagine, but it was kind of like rioting in the chess journalism yeah. of that time. It was worse. It was worse than when Bob Dylan came out with an electric guitar. Oh, I'm still pissed off about that, Bob, by the way. <laughs> That's so funny. I was just thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it really was a huge shift. And then, you know, David mentioned a lot of the ideas. So and, and also just like some of the things. Actually, I want to, we're gonna, later we're going to talk about Carlson. Carlson's such a weenie. These guys, Steinitz and Zuckertort, they played till the brink of death. Dude. And like Zuckertort basically dead at the end of the match. Like the world championship match back then went on forever. It just went months and months and months. It was grueling. It was not some like pretty boy thing where you're done in a couple games. No. One of Steinitz's, Steinitz was very concerned as the first official world champion. He was very concerned with establishing the rules and regulations for this thing that had been passed down to us. And one of his principles was that no world championship match should be played for a maximum number of games. Like it has to be some kind of unlimited contest to a certain number of of wins or to the uh, to the exhaustion and death of one of the participants. But yeah, and we're talking really death. I mean, people are dying here. And the Labordinet McDonald match, you know, which I consider the first world championship match. That's also uh, a match to the death. Okay. All right. Now wow. coming in number six, we have Botvinnik. Wow. Um, I one of the things that's confusing to me about Botvinnik is uh, I've never fully. There's a lot of players I feel like I understand. I'm not sure I ever understood Botvinnik fully, but the guy has to be on the list for being dominant in several decades and then um, dominant enough to reclaim the world championship at various points. I would say the contribution is not one of style, but of process. And when we think about the chess dojo and the um, emphasis we have on going over our games and then publishing those games, is all about Botvinnik. I'll just say one of the great things about the dojo that's really happened is Botvinnik got to publish his games. There were journals that were like, yeah, sure, I'll publish your analysis, boss. But then most players couldn't. So it was kind of a dream that couldn't be attained. And now we're kind of doing it. We're doing Botvinnik's dream now. And what's interesting about it is by publishing it, 
with the you're like doing the analysis with the thought that eventually you're going to publish it it forces you to be more clear and i think that was so much of the guy's process that that really helped him hang on forever you know we're talking from the 1930s you know he's playing in the 1970s so this is this bridge figure that bob vinick is uh, like lasker where you have multiple generations right from let's say you know guys plays alakite and then coaches kasparov that's the kind of bridge that we're talking about mm -hmm. okay dave who you got with oh yeah sorry back to me i was just seeing in chat people were talking about whether being second best in a generation could still get someone onto our top 10 list or even into the top five um okay for capablanca and then i have at number six the player who uh superseded him alexander aljechen um yeah once you're up to number six this is this is this is heady territory here aljechen um i think the only player to die is world champion true um but I think that has more to do with uh, with the World War than with him actively wanting to dodge his opponents. I think that if not for the World War, we could have had an Aljechen Botvinnik match, which would have been fire. I mean, man, if you could pick one chess event that didn't happen to add it into chess history, that transition would have been it would have been awesome. That's really missing. Okay, um, but come on over, Fisher Karpov. No way. Well, Fisher Karpov, it wouldn't have been a transition, my friend. <laughs> no, but you said one one chess event that that never happened. Yeah, no. Okay, versus Fisher Karpov. I'm still gonna go Aliyahin Botvinnik. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Fine. Yeah, fine. Fisher Karpov. I'll give number two. Number two. Fine. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's it's a close call. I think I think it's fair. It's a close call. <laughs> no, that's. Um, yeah, it would have been great um, to have a couple Fisher Karpov matches, a couple, you know, Alyekin Botvinnik matches if it took more than one would have been great. Anyway, Alyekin Jesse said lots of great things about him, so I'll just more or less agree and uh, say, you know, he was world champion for a while. He was really strong, uh, and we'll leave it at that. Okay, cool. Um, my sixth pick is uh, exactly the same, um, Alyekin um, or Alyokin for the. Russian speakers. Um, yeah, he was a really great champion. I feel like he made a ton of contributions. Um, he also uh, wrote quite a bit. I think he wrote more uh, more books than, than most world champions, and his books are, are really good. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so I just feel like he was just like a tremendous player. And um, yeah, just had like a ton of contributions, like in openings in terms of like style um, and then and then his books and like annotations as well. Um, another just like super, super influential player um, for a lot of a lot of modern grandmasters, I feel. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, we kind of have them in okay, pretty, pretty similar spots overall. Um, number five. Uh, for me, is going to be Botvinnik, the, uh, the father of the, the Soviet uh, chess school. So, yeah, Botvinnik, I mean, he's a, a great champion. Um, like you guys said, he had a, a ton of influence. He was a teacher of uh, both Kasparov and Karpov. And I think also Kramnik attended his school. I don't know how much they interacted personally, but I mean, that's 
yeah, like what an influence. Um, basically, like, as Jesse said, like invented this like process of being like a professional player. He was the first to kind of set out a system, like how many tournaments a player should play over the course of the year, how to be a professional chess player, how to study, how to work on your game, uh, how to analyze your games and, and all this stuff. Um, so yeah, just super, super influential player. Um, I would also say he uh, gamed the system very well. <laughs> you know, he was like the only world champion to like lose multiple matches and then get the rematch and then win multiple times. Um, <laughs> but because of that, he was able to kind of stay at the top for uh, for quite a bit. So for me, yeah, he, his uh, his contribution, everything is just pretty pretty massive. I like what the two of you have said about Bodfinick, and it's helped me to you know, remember and reappreciate just how much he did contribute, right? Because there's contributions of like, here's an opening named after somebody or, you know, this person figured out that you can play with a Fianchetto or whatever. But um, the idea that you approach it scientifically, that you work hard, that you that you plan your time, that you train, all that is also a big part of of chess, which is now seen as a sport, right? And he took the first steps in that direction of making it a professional sport, I guess. Yeah. Um, or a lot of big ones. Yeah. Um, people, um, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. You can. Oh, I, I was gonna say people like to talk about how like, oh, if these older players had like modern tools, like if Morphe had like chess base or something, like how, how good they would be. Yeah. If Bod Vinick had some modern tools if Bod Vinick had like chessable. Mm. Oh my God. It would be over. Worker, it would be game over forever. He'd be 2,900. <laughs> It'd be unstoppable monster if he had like chess base stockfish oh my god it'd be uh yeah and anyway. if he could keep all his seconds and have them all using it too right his assistant yeah the whole machinery of birds <laughs> the, everybody working for him out there in the gulags on their little chess bases sending him stuff um number five i don't know if this guy's going to show up on your guys lists but um oh. the current world champion Magnus Carlsen, there's a pretty Five. significant gap between him <laughs> and the other best players of the last 10 years. Like he's been 80-ish points ahead on average. Um, <laughs> barely Jesse's hard dying. to touch. All the <laughs> you guys okay? Jesse's dying right now. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, boss. Okay. Ahead. Just, just dig that hole a little deeper, buddy. <laughs> it's hard to think about anything other than your face. Uh, uh, anyway, I mean, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say that he's been almost untouchable as number one for like a really long phase, but it it bears mention that Karwan and Karyakin both drew matches against him. Um, So he's been sort of dominant but maybe not as dominant as he sometimes feels. Um, he wins most tournaments he plays in. And in terms of pure strength, he's the best player of all time in, in that measure. But uh, his, his gap is less than other players, but one has to also understand that he's facing way more players, right? Like he's playing against like the largest pool of well-prepared players. So it's hard it's harder for him to create a huge gap. And I don't think it's very likely that in the future we'll see people with a bigger gap between number one and number two. 
than Magnus now. Or You're is, making is a great unlikely. case for him. What? <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, dude. You said it's it's very difficult to have a gap. <laughs> and we'll never we'll likely never see another gap like this. Yeah. Well, I mean, you guys could try to convince me to move one of my next four down a notch. We'll see. It sounds like you have them higher than me. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, 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 we'll see. We'll see. I don't have anything bad to say about him. I think he's fantastic. He became number one really young. He's like a prodigy. Um, he's good at different time controls. Let me ask you this. What does he still need to do for you to place him higher? Because obviously his yeah, career is still, is still ongoing. I mean, he would have to like win a couple world championship matches by three or four points instead of by zero points. Now, one thing I have to say about you, David, is sometimes you say things that are so dumb that they stick with me. They stick with me. Like when you said, like when you said Morphe was 1900, I, of course I remember that it was 1900. How could I forget? How could I forget? How could I forget? Okay, let's leave it there. We'll talk about Carl. We have yeah, we'll get back about to it. it more. We're going to talk about it more. All right. Yeah. So um, this next one is actually that's one of the hardest ones for me to place, and that is Lasker. I want to say a couple words about this. Um, so 29 years. 29 years. It's totally stunning. And the reason it's hard, I think for, and, and I'll say that I th it was hard for his generation too, is that it, there's when you when I think of Lasker, it's very hard for me to say like, okay, what was his contribution? Very tough. Very hard for me to remember like, okay, that was the killer game that dude played. Very tough. Yeah, I think it's twenty. Oh no, you're right. You're right. You're right. Never mind. So um, the thing. So one of the things I love about chess is you have to you have these numbers. So for example, if if there were no numbers in chess, people wouldn't rate Lasker at all. But the numbers don't lie. And the fact that even after he was world champion and gave it up to, to out to Capablanca, he still seemed like the best in the world when you look at the numbers, right? So it's this really hard thing. And I want to stress one of the things that was so interesting about reading Modern Ideas in Chess is he's talking about Morphe through Alakine, and he kind of doesn't even know what to say about Lasker, about what was the guy's contribution. So even for his generation, they didn't know what to say about the guy. Um, and partly is like when I, I tried to read some of his works, like he read, he wrote on other things too. Very abstruse, very abstruse. Uh, I, I, he wrote a book called Comfort, The Struggle. One of the weirdest, poorest written books I've ever read in my <laughs> life. And I think it was that inability to communicate his thought processes that we don't know much about this dude. Okay, so there it is. I, I don't know where to put him. And then number four, I'm putting in Karpov. Okay, now with Karpov, we have to say that there's a lot of ugliness with Karpov. During his um, playing years, Hort made the great uh, observation, Blasimir Hort, that the guy never really lost to any of the Soviet players when they played in tournaments. <laughs> it was like, no, he would lose sometimes to some of the Western players but they were never, he was never losing to the people of his country, right? Uh, so it's, it, was, it was like this uh, person of the state, somebody who celebrated the status quo and was rewarded for it. And then now he's having his own Woody Allen moment because 
He's in the Duma getting fallen down drunk. Guy, I might still be in the hospital. I haven't heard an update. So it doesn't look pretty. If Karpov had died in 1982, or excuse me, 1994, when he wins Linares as a crush with a crushing score, it would look better, right? But then, of course, he played on, and then he was losing to chumps. So, you know, in any case, we have to just bear that in mind. But during the guy's playing period, definitely developed uh, a new style of play, was incredibly dominant throughout the uh, 70s and 80s. So, I mean, you got to put him, you got to put him where he belongs. I think I know for sure Jesse's remaining three picks. <laughs> okay. Not yeah. necessarily the order, but I think I know who's left for him. Well, we are. It's very yeah, obvious. I mean, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Before, before we started, I played a little game. I guessed who Jesse and Kostya's top two picks would be. So, we'll see. We'll see. All right, boss, who do you got? Four. Yeah, it's your four. Yeah, who's in front of Carlson, bro? <laughs> oh, on me, yes. Um, Very, very strong player, Gary Kasparov. Oh, no. World champion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesse's done. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? You think it's crazy to put Kasparov ahead of Carlson? I'm just interested to see who's next, boss. I think you put Kasparov ahead of Carlson yourself. I'm just going to see who's next, boss. I'm just going to see who's <laughs> okay. up ahead of these people. I just want to see it, boss. That's All right. So I don't need to tell you why Kasparov's good? I'm just dying to know who's 3-2. All right. I'll pass I have a feeling you. it's going to be a 1900-level player. I'll yeah. pass it to you, Kostya. <laughs> Um, no, no, Kasparov is great. We obviously all all have him on our lists, um, and I think I think most fans know about his contribution. So it, it's like, yeah, it's a little bit insulting to even try to like summarize. <laughs> He's just like an amazing world champion. Um, I think before Carlson, um, most people would consider him kind of like an undisputed greatest player of all time, uh, in my opinion. Um, but uh, okay, my number four is uh karpov um wow that's kind of where where he belongs um one interesting thing i i recently heard was that um you know karpov was just basically like like actually very dominant in, in 10 years from 1975 to 1985 so between like fisher and uh and kasparov uh, I mean, he and Korshnoi were, were super, super strong and like crushing everyone. But I mean, he was he was beating Korshnoi every time. He was beating everyone else. And um, oh, just actually, I wanted to ask you: Were you trying to imply that like the Soviet players weren't allowed to lose to him? Oh, I, I mean, whether it was allowed or just like implied that your mother would die, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But the the stats the stats are very interesting. They just did not lose to him. You know. Yeah, yeah. So in a, yeah, it's just very suspicious. That's interesting. Yeah, I remember um, it was like Luboyevich or someone who was like, yeah, before Karpov became world champion, he was like, yeah, like I was beating him. And then after he became world champion, I never beat him again. <laughs> it's just, like, it just psychologically uh, shut down. But no, I, I think Karpov um, as as a player was tremendous. Actually, I mean, I feel like the fact that he hung in with Kasparov for so long, given how good Kasparov was, is also just like amazing. Um so yeah, I feel like he was uh 
Uh, he was a good champion. Arguably could be lower on this list in terms of his like overall contributions to the game. Um, I'm not really sure. I, I could definitely see an argument for placing him lower. And uh, yeah, in terms of like the Woody Allen thing, Woody Allen effect, you know, yeah, that stuff definitely I feel like is fair to be mentioned that these lists are always about chess greatness. And yeah, uh, some of these players might just be terrible people or end up doing bad things. And uh, that's not great. That shouldn't be celebrated. But like, yeah, their contributions to the game, it's, it's kind of just like a different thing overall. Um, on that note, uh, my number three, <laughs> number three pick is going to be Fisher. And I think, um, yeah, his contribution to the game is, is very well known, but obviously he, uh, rose to the top. He was at the top for a very short period of time. Um, but I think he was, he was considered number one, um, for, at least a couple of years, a very clear number one, and, and obviously could have uh, could have maybe stayed longer. Um, but uh, yeah, I have him here. I mean, his contributions to the game, I think itself, are also pretty uh, pretty fantastic. You know, a lot of the Soviet players like learned from Fisher in terms of how he approached the game, how he studied the opening, and like did his prep and. Um, how intense he was, you know, he would just play every game out like to the Bear Kings. And uh, of course, he made a lot of advancements just like in terms of chess tournaments and like conditions for players. Um, I mean, yeah, his story is obviously incredible. I think everyone should should learn as much about Fisher as they can um, if they're if they're fans of chess. Um, I mean, yeah, like this lone player from America and like yeah, doesn't have a lot of people, a lot of family growing up, has to do it all himself, still gets to the top, has to fight this like Soviet machine. I mean, it's just an incredible thing that he was able to become champion. And objectively, you know, I think few would argue that he was definitely stronger than uh, pretty much everyone uh, of his time. Um, and uh, yeah, okay, I think, I think that's it. Obviously not a great guy. Let me say one more thing, <laughs> not a great guy. Uh, I feel like he suffered from a lot of mental illness. He said a lot of terrible anti-Semitic stuff, misogynistic stuff, all kinds of stuff. Um, but I think the dude was mentally ill. You know, I think he had a lot of like bad influences. I think he had a very strange upbringing. I don't understand how anyone with like his life and his upbringing, like, you know, it's just like, that's how he turned out. Like, so it's sad. It's unfortunate, but, uh, Again, his contributions to the game are, of course, uh, incredible. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, agreed. And um, I know that you guys, I know that Jesse only has bad things to say about me, but I want to say <laughs> that I appreciate that both Jesse and Kostya gave Karpov points for longevity for the years where he was number two to Kasparov. I, I agree with that insight. I know I put him lower than you guys but i also had that same thought that like you know this the the period during which he was really strong can be extended by that kasparov period and those world championship matches to kasparov were close um you know i mean he was he was losing in like game 24 of a 24 game match to kasparov i mean that's that is intense he was really good um all right we're at number three now and um 
you know, a computer may only consider his play to be about 2100 level <laughs> if it checks his caps score or something like that. But the gap, the gap between Paul Morphy and the other players of his age was tremendous, undeniable, absolute, absolute slaughter and massacre. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, he doesn't have the greatest longevity, but that's only my second criteria. If the gap is just too overwhelming, then, uh, you know, I'm going to have to give it to him anyway and say, like, he could have, you know, continued dominating people for a while. And you can see, as Jesse referenced with his historical knowledge, that players in Europe, including primarily Steinitz, was like the leader of this train of thought, you know, were loath to talk about anyone being world champion until Morphy was dead. You know, or the idea of anyone being the number one player in the world until the guy was dead, because it was like, whatever's happening with him is like, you're wondering if you could just pull him out of the sanatorium and he would wipe the floor with you blindfolded. Right. right. So. You, you said the guy is 1900 and now you're putting him at number three. 2100. <laughs> oh, well, He's okay. really good, Jesse, compared to his time. Compared I, to his time, he was dominant. I, I We're think not supposed to so penalize fair. him for the fact that he didn't have chest base. I don't know. No, I, no it's a fair. Know. It's a fair pick. I mean, no, honestly, I do think it's a fair pick. A lot of people say like Morphe is uh, the greatest player of all time. Just it, unironically, it's not a fair pick if you think the guy's nineteen hundred bows. Come on, what are we talking about here? No, I think <laughs> Paulson was nineteen hundred, Jesse. Let's let's give Morphe twenty one hundred. Let's bump him up. Let's just, <laughs> let's bump him up look, to twenty one hundred. Look, if you like Morphe, you I should like stronger. the fact that I put him high. Like I put him higher than you did, dog. He crushed his opposition. He I beat them by wide you're margins. The, you're the dude who made the insane comment that he was 1900, and now we're at number three. I'm just saying, boss. There's some there's some stickiness there. Okay. Well, I've made my pick. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I don't know okay. how to justify it more. I mean. All right. All right. All right. I mean, no, would I, you agree that Morphe dominated the players of his age? Uh, I think for anyone else to put Morphe at three, it's ambitious. Uh, but the but to put him there and think he's in nineteen hundred, it's inconceivable. <laughs> okay, Moss, I'm gonna go. I'm just gonna carry on here. All right, coming. By, by the way, my number my three, my, my four to ten is a little bit like my book list. My four to ten. If you ask me on a different day, I might shuffle it around. My top three hasn't really changed for a long time. And uh, it's it's always evolving. I changed my perspectives on it, but uh, it stayed constant for a while. So at number three, we have Fisher. And um, I think uh, one thing I just want to say about the Woody Allen effect in terms of Fisher, <clears throat> it was a post by, you know, the, the, the with the pandemic boom players. And then they discover that Fisher was said some anti-Semitic stuff. And so I, I saw some stuff on Twitter trying to cancel the guy because it, it would have been his 80th birthday. I just want to say a great book to read is John Donaldson's Tome. Did a review on the channel of Fisher. And, uh, you know, really, the, the guy had bizarre problems that related to his chest strengths. Like whatever, there's all kinds of neurologists want to argue about what kind of disease he had. But whatever disease he had, it, it helped his game when he was younger. Um, now, the thing that becomes weird when you obviously compare people is Fisher not only wasn't champion for that long, but 
really, he didn't up his game until 69, 70. So it was really like that period in the 60s, he was a good player. But you couldn't say in the mid-60s that he was the best player in the world. There's just, you couldn't do it. So, but then you get to, like, when he goes into his cave of self-improvement, locks himself in his room and goes a little bit crazy, gets into some weird religious stuff, but is studying chess uh, with a determination that it's hard to imagine and all alone. By the way, growing up, not being able to play the top players, just not, just playing chumps mostly in around New York. Um, couldn't develop as fast as his counterparts in the Soviet Union. So it's a really amazing story. And then just those couple of years, I mean, you're seeing, a, you saw a level of chess, arguably has never been repeated. I mean, it was just such a high level, such a high level for those, just those couple of years. So, okay, there it is, Fisher, <clears throat> number two. You could also switch this around. You could switch around a little bit as Kasparov. Uh, great play. Fantastic. You could argue is number one. I wouldn't have any trouble if you put him at number one. Um, <clears throat> I got to have dinner with the dude and uh, I had the balls to say, it. I don't know. We were just talking best players. He looked at me, though, when I said that Fisher, Kasparov and some other dude were uh, top three. And he was like, what, not me like that? You know, anyways, it was kind of <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> but an amazing guy. And uh the level of domination, you know, through the 80s and then 90s, the whole 90s dominated by Kasparov. And not only that, but like a really fun and entertaining way of playing the game, right? And one of the amazing things about Kasparov is despite the fact that he played so aggressively and seemingly was taking a lot of risks, the dude didn't lose that many games. It's really astonishing. You think about Tall, for example, Tall was losing to all kinds of chumps. And Kasparov was bringing it with the high octane Kings Indians and the Nidorfs, but he wasn't losing that many games. So <clears throat> could be number one, but definitely up there. All right. Yeah. I mean, you know, in that, uh, as far as not losing many games, you know, he had that situation against Karpov where he was one loss away from losing that first world championship match in 1984. And he drew something like, you know, 25 games in a row. <clears throat> So dude knew how to how to hold it down and draw and defend, right? Even though what he's famous for is is, you know, dynamic, aggressive chess, uh, revolutionizing opening prep to serve that end of, you know, pressing, pressing the high octane and the most crazy openings. Um, he was definitely hard to beat as well. I also have to say, Jesse, I'm going to keep saying nice things about you and see if you ever feel bad about saying mean things about me. <laughs> I'm impressed that you were able to uh, put him to, to, to give him your answer about the best chess players of all time in front of uh, him like that. When yeah. I met Gary, I couldn't even say hi. The uh, guy is so powerful. I mean, I, I couldn't even say hi. I was just like, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's and in my, I, I couldn't say anything. So I'm impressed. Good on you. Um, number two best player of all time. Our greatest player of all time. Um, as you guys have mentioned, I mean, like Fisher and Morphy, like Fisher doesn't have the greatest longevity, but when he was playing his best for a couple of years there, the gap was absolutely outrageous. I mean, just just absolutely outrageous, clearly bigger than uh 
than anyone below him on the list, on my list. Um, right? He won a million games in a row. Actually, do you guys know that Steinitz at one point won 25 games in a row? I mean, the competition was less even, but that's a that's a surprising streak that I turned up when I was doing my research because Steinitz was somebody who could also lose five games in a row, which I don't think anyone else on my list here has ever lost five games in a row, probably. But um, but anyway, Fisher's streak when he wins those candidate matches six zero, when he wins a million games in a row at the interzonal before that is just it, it's just, I mean yeah. And if you analyze the quality of his play with a computer, you would find that he was playing as well as Kasparov and Magnus would, you know, 20, 30, 40 years later with the help of computers. Not that they cheated during their game, right? But that they train that they had resources to train with, right? So relative to his time, it's even more insane that he could play at that level. So to me, that just blows it away, even without the full longevity obviously i would have liked to see him play several more matches with karpov okay um well um yeah so my number two pick is um i think me and jesse just have the same list at this point it's kasparov (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and uh, so for me it's like look fisher was certainly like a super bright star but the longevity i just feel like is so important, especially as as I get older and I and I've now been playing chess for many years to be able mm-hmm. to play chess at the highest level for as long as Kasparov did and and continue to dominate, you know, because like I feel like his gap, if you count inflation, like his 2850, I mean, in the 90s, like that's that's remarkable. Um, and to continue to like just work hard because Kasparov's reputation was that he he would just work all the time. He had so many interviews where um, despite winning, he knew that he had to like continue analyzing his games, continue working on his openings, working on his chess. Because if he didn't do that, then someone would surpass him uh, you know, sooner. Obviously, eventually someone would would have to. But he stayed at the top for so long and also just so uh, revolutionary in terms of his contribution to the game. I mean, like his, uh, he definitely, I feel like he was a successor to like this, uh, the line. It was like Morphe, Alakine, maybe Tall, and then Kasparov. Just like taking the dynamic chess to just a whole nother level, just blowing people out of the water, checkmating people, like sacrificing pawns, exchanges where people are just like confused. I mean, I mean, the game where all of Karpov's pieces are like on the first rank. Karpov's like this amazing champion, you know, and it's like, how, how could you do that? Uh, to someone like that multiple times even you know knight d3 game you know octopus i mean so yeah i feel like fisher definitely for you know brief period of time was much much stronger than everyone else but like yeah i really just respect like the amount of time that kasparov uh stayed at the top okay so you guys probably know who my number one pick is I guessed it wrong before the show, but if I'm guessing it wrong now, I will be really surprised. (laughs) (laughs) You thought I would take Kasparov before the show? Uh, I predicted that your top three, Kostya, would be Kasparov, Fisher, Magnus. Oh, in that order. That's what I wrote down. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But I may be be not completely off in that you and Jesse may think that the three are sort of close and sort of a tier above others, but I definitely got the order completely wrong for both of you. Gotcha. 
catch. Yeah, for me, it's like these three definitely feel like the three, the three goats. Um, I don't know. I think you could make an argument for for Karpov as well, but yeah, for me, it's um, it's definitely these three. And when it comes to Magnus, honestly, okay, I thought I'll be honest. I thought Jesse was gonna go Kasparov and be uh, very stubborn about it. Sorry, Jesse. <laughs> and I thought David would would have already acquiesced that Carlson is is the goat. So I was definitely way off on that one. <laughs> Um, and now oh, I'm actually, yeah. uh, now we have no idea what David's going to say. I have a guess. I have a guess. And like he's uh, going to say stockfish or I don't know what dude is going to no, say. No, I hope, I no, hope no, no, no. I stuck to humans. That was but, the brief. <laughs> but let me say, um, just one thing about Carlson for me, I think yeah. a lot of people have both Carlson and Kasparov as their number one, kind of like interchangeable. Um, mm -hmm. and basically the reason I went with Carlson simply is just cause like, he's still playing, he's still number one and it's already kind of a 50, 50 for a lot of people between the two. And clearly it's just going to be continuing to trend in, in Carlson's favor. Like he's not just retiring today. Like he's going to continue to be number one, probably for a couple of years, who knows how long. Um, he's also, I think, very, very dominant in like Rapid and Blitz. I feel like in Kasparov's time, there wasn't like as many of these events, but Carlson just shows uh, very, very clear dominance in the fast time controls as well, which I think is amazing. And uh, yeah, he, he won so many world championships, you know, he he got bored of them. I don't know how many times you guys want to see him, you know, beat up on Nepo, but like, yeah, I understand. <laughs> I understand why he quit at the time that he did. And I feel like he's still very motivated to keep playing and continuing to be number one. So um, yeah, for me, it's like, okay, it was already a 50-50 toss up, but the fact that he keeps going, it's like every day, it just, I think, kind of adds to uh, to his favor. So yeah, for me, I think, I think it's time, time to call it. Carlson, number one. Okay. Kosi, do you have a guess what David's going to say here? Do you have a guess, uh, Bob? I would guess either, uh, I think Greco would be my first pick based on the list that David has been building. Greco or Philidor would be my guess. One of the earlier guys that were just like the first competent player in a sea of like total, <laughs> total <laughs> beginners. <laughs> All right, dude, because I, I have no idea. All right, David, let, let so you. So rip. you both put um, Magnus and Kasparov in a different order than me, maybe. And I just want to say one thing to the point you just made, Kostya. Like, I'm just trying to make an argument, perfectly friendly, no insult to your pick or anything like that. But I feel like what Kasparov was number one at age 40 when he retired, right? Uh, Is that about right? He retired like in 2004. He was born in 63. So he was... <sighs> He was either 41 or 40 and 11 months or so when Linares was played, right? So um, so I feel like for Magnus to equal him in longevity, and I know Magnus hasn't retired yet, so you're saying, you know, you can see he's the argument's only going to keep getting in favor of Magnus. I feel like Magnus would need another eight years as undisputed number one to match what Kasparov did. I don't know. That's That's a thought I have there. Unless you think he's like much, unless you think the gap between him and his opposition is bigger than no, the I gap do. between Kasparov and like Shirov and Salov, et cetera. No, I do. Because for, I mean, a few of uh, Kasparov's years, it was like, you know, Karpov was a very clear number two. So it wasn't like he was just a total, uh, totally dominant player. Carlson, I don't think has ever had a clear rival. There's just been several players that were number two for extended periods of time, like Caruana, Aronian, and so on. But He's never had like a Karpov that just continues to 
you know, beat everyone else and, and battle them. So, yeah, I do think Carlson Carlson's gap is bigger than uh, Kasparov's gap. And also, it's really important that I think it's much harder now. I think Carlson is going up against more uh, elite players than yeah. Kasparov. Kasparov obviously went up against some incredible giants. But I think Carlson has gone up against even more. So, David, there's a poll going on. We're just <laughs> mystified, boss. We're yeah. just mystified about who you could. I mean, your weird opinions get so weird. Like, I would just say, David's opinion, he's got some weird ones, but there's a lot of ways in which he acts like a normal person. And then you see glimpses like this and you're like, what? You know? So, anyways, the whole internet's asking right now. They're saying, Paul, <laughs> Greco, dude, Philidor. I don't I think people give Paul David Smith. too much, too much hate on the. Uh, the, I mean, they're just they're just opinions. It's not like a, a question of moral character. OK, <laughs> there's, there's times when your opinion could be so wrong that we got to question the moral fiber behind. Things here. But they're well-informed opinions. I mean, you you also think that Fisher, Morphe and Kasparov and Carlson were dominant players. What I mean, it, well, I, I don't know what's so weird or insane about wasn't it in 1900. But all right, boss, I you know, I just I'm just dying to see it. Let's see. Like, like I like I thought about it a while, and I think Kasparov so far has a better case than Carlson. But I don't think you guys are weird because you put it in the other order. You know, okay, like boss. Well, let's just go just ahead. Just an opinion. Go ahead and let her rip, boss. Go All right. This player here was a candidate for the world championship eight times, as well as being a world champion. <laughs> he competed for the world championship at age sixty-four. He was still playing in candidates' matches. Um, and it was only because of some favoritism to Botvinnik that he didn't totally dominate the 50s and 60s. Um, so the number one greatest player of all time is Andre Danikin Philidor, actually. Oh, and, um, so true. <laughs> I was just seeing if Jesse would hate me or not. <laughs> if I put Smetslav there, if that would be pardonable. <laughs> um so the gap oh so i guessed Philidor, it i guessed it you did it Kostya. <laughs> bravo nice. the nice. gap between philidor and his contemporaries he was the number one player in the world for 40 years um he absolutely crushed his adversaries in fact he played most of his matches at pawn odds like against the other top players. Now, obviously, it's it's harder now. There's much more competition, right? We just, it's hard to estimate across time, but he could really, really um, crush the players of his age uh, quite convincingly. Um, and I have a little tidbit for you. Oh. I have a little tidbit for you. You guys want to see a little tidbit of, of Philidor? I don't think we have a choice, boss. Go ahead. No, Philidor, Philidor is cool. Very influential. Yeah. Here, I'm going to send it to you in, in Discord because I'm not hosting it. But there's there's a game. And, Kosti, if you want to try and grab that and bring it up. Okay. And while you do, I will add that, you know, he had a huge strength gap, huge longevity, and huge contributions to chess. Right? Like, his idea that the pawn structure is uh, critical which obviously there were errors in his theory. Every, you know, Steinitz's theory had errors too, and there have been improvements made to every theory. But his contributions to chess are also in the top, you know, four or five players in history, probably. Um, 
And uh, yeah, I was playing through some of his games yesterday. And, uh, you know, I definitely found some some gaps, you know, like there's a player like I would say Steinitz is a player who didn't always execute as well as his strategy to some extent. So you could contribute a lot, but not necessarily have, you know, the greatest tactical skills or execution every time. But uh, so I would. Yeah, but I think, you know, he had he had the skills to. To play there's not a lot of records of his of his games from back then so it's not easy to evaluate but this game here that i came up with is pretty is pretty sweet yeah i have the game up uh now David. okay okay so can you just go we'll just look at one move okay mm -hmm. just go to move 18 after white plays c4 um okay three c4 yeah. And now just look at the move that he plays here and he even explains it. You guys yeah. have to remember, this is in 1700 that he explains this move. And Kosti, I think you can probably read the annotations yourself there if you want. But it's he not, explains um, yeah. mm -hmm. he explains his next move here, right? Why he plays E4 in this right. position. Yeah. That's baller. Um, no, I'm with you. I think in terms of like pure contributions and also if... Uh, if you took the metric of like who was ahead of their time by like the number of years, Philidor yeah. is up there uh, for sure. Because I mean, this is and he had a lot of this stuff that was just like, yeah, just like idea and it's like positional sacrifice. That's the point takes and then D4. Yeah. And, I this, mean, is, yeah. this is oh. a sealer sweeper, right? He's opening up his bishop and knight, blocking in white's bishop and knight. He points out also that if you play D4 after knight E4, your e-pawn is worthless and your bishop is bad. Yeah. Right? No, I mean, so it's like, I mean, foundations of it, straight to Nimzovich from this guy, right? And he e4, d e4, d4, and then he plays knight e5, and the d pawn's dangerous. And he even calculates correctly this game. I think he was particularly inspired this game. There's some good calculation towards the end. Um, it's just fantastic. It's just it's just way way ahead. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. It's like okay, his his contribution is amazing, and. It, just like way ahead of his time for me it's just like okay strength relative compared to peers the guy didn't have a lot of peers you know most yeah. of his games are against nn and uh unfortunate that's uh yeah so for me i don't know maybe we could have for me these guys are just kind of disqualified just because it, it's not their fault but they just weren't you know i just don't consider that part of like yeah fair enough it's hard to evaluate without like a really good game record right like his strongest opponent that he took over from was um de chapelle who was his own teacher before mm -hmm. him who he eventually surpassed um and we don't have the games of the morphe de chapelle match that where he beat him and 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 took over as number one you know so it would be great to be able to actually see the games of that match and i know that you know he didn't have the greatest competition but he you know he did travel around the world and beat all the best players that we do know from the from the historical record so, um, yeah, it would be good to have that. I looked at games from Le Bourdonnais and, you know, Greco and Anderson and so forth. Um, but uh, the, there was not as much dominance from those players. Oh, Jesse, did you want to give your top pick? I'm going to have to. I'm just going to say it was obviously ridiculous. Okay. Actually, we'll do maybe this. 
I'll just give my my two critiques. I mean, that was this terrible. There were some terrible things in David's list, but that last one was abysmal. And, you know, if you want to take someone from that era, you got to say Labordinet was more dominant than Philidor in his time. So even there, it's like, oh, my gosh, what are we talking about? And then number one, I can't even speak to it. I can't even speak to it. Now, with Carlson, let's just say that a um, couple things. Carlson, buddy, if you're listening to this show, all right, you're killing me, boss. This whole thing where you gave up the world championship, it's killing your legacy, boss. It is killing your legacy. Now, clearly the dude was just, there's nobody even close to him for so long, for so long. Uh, so you have to say that the dude is on the top. I hope he comes back. I hope he comes out of this weird shell that the guy's in, lost his mind. Hopefully he doesn't go down the Fisher Road. I don't know what's going on with him. In any case, uh, I'm worried for the guy. Also, this new trend where he's like, oh, I'm tired of uh, real chess. I want to play blitz chess. <laughs> it's a problem for the chess world and also for Carlson. It suggests that he doesn't have the juice anymore. Like Steinitz playing on to the... Carlson, think about Steinitz, boss. Think about matches to the death when you're 50 years old. Okay? None of this chump stuff where you're in the best prime of your life and you're like, oh, I'm too tired. No, boss. Think about these people that you're up against. And because this is who you're up against, this list, boss. You got weight of history behind you. All right. You already put him at number one. So what more does he need to do? I'm just saying. He has to convince you, Dave. There's some some issues. And and then with Kosi, I got to say, no way is it not number nine. Forget about it. The guy's a great player, but in his prime, he wasn't even number one when he was playing the best chess of his life. Come on. In any case, there it is. Those are my wow. critiques. Wow. Yeah. Wait, People who are critiquing you for Kosti? Uh, for Anand. Um, that's fine. I mean, I don't care. Anand. <laughs> okay. uh, I think it's fair. I feel bad for not having him higher, actually. I think he's an amazing champion. It, just because he, he's been around for so long and he's won in so many different formats. like you know. um, But, but it, anyway. Is it not slightly odd that Jesse's number one is the only person that he had bad things to say about? Everybody else, he's like, they were so great. They were so great. Then he gets to number one. And he's like, dude, you can't compete. Look at the people on this list that I just no, put you ahead of. I said bad things about Karpov, Lasker, Spotvinnik, you know, the whole down the list. Only off the board. Only off the board. Well, um, yeah, that is kind of funny. But I mean, no, I think Jesse's just mad that Carlson isn't achieving even more, even more. Um, look, guys, obviously, we've all blundered a lot in today's uh, stream. I think no one will will disagree with with that. Um, people asking, what about Tall? Tall, he wasn't at the top for that long um, for me. I do think he's an incredible player and, and definitely contributed a ton to the game. I don't think he's way far off the list, but, you know, there's only 10, 10 slots. And that means we could only put 10 players. So... Yeah, how it goes. I've got another eight honorable mentions, so I can say that Tall came in around 13th or 14th for me. For those who want to know. And Bovnik is the player that you two put the highest that I don't have on my list, and he was my 11th. He was my first honorable mention. So. Well, I think we should do another show where we um, just talk chess strength, because I think that would be um, a really interesting show. Because uh, I, think, I think it's kind of, it would just be kind of cool to compare. I think a lot of modern players would uh, destroy some of the players on this list. And I think that's what we're talking about. Doesn't mean that they're, uh, you know, that these you know, aren't great players, but uh, you know, I just think it would be cool to discuss.
All right, let's, do the math. let's figure out who the chess dojo top right. players of all time are. Right, we gotta tally up the rankings. Oh my God, this is a I, I don't and, and the way we got the scoring, maybe Philidor will even make the top ten, so our embarrassment becomes an eternal. So <laughs> I don't think so. I think we had enough overlap <laughs> that we should be okay. Um, let me. I see don't know. You get a lot of points is. for a top pick, though. Yeah, yeah, true. True. We're giving, uh, what are we giving? 10 points, right? For number one pick. Um, now, for me, the player that I was missing is Steinitz. And yeah, he was the one I was kind of thinking about instead of Morphe. I think he was he was very close to, to, make, to make my list. I can't understand how you guys both put Morphe at number 10. That's like, I guess, what I would be most surprised about about your list. I mean, everybody you have on your top 10 list makes sense. It just feels like Morphe should be at least a couple steps higher. Dude, you're the one who got inside my head because you said he was 1900. You know, what are you talking about? Yeah, um, for me, I think he also suffered a bit from playing during the, the unofficial era. So it was hard for mm -hmm. me to play some higher ahead of like established champions. And like a lot of the games from that era, like aren't even accurate. You know, <laughs> like who knows like what what actually happened? Um, well, so we called Philidor from the top 10. That's great, dude. That's great. I want to just say while he's doing that, the other thing with Carlson, I think it's very important to understand is, and I mentioned this in my criteria at the beginning, is that when you think about Fisher and Kasparov, the pool of players that they are competing against are basically European, Western European and Eastern European. Those are the people that they are playing against. It's a much smaller pool than the pool of players that Carlson is playing against. We now have China. We now have India. We have you know, it's just so much bigger. And what that means is the amount of talent that's coming into the, has come into the game and is presently coming into the game is just much higher just in terms of sheer numbers. And even now with the internet booming, with the chess internet boom that's going on, we're getting a new influx of people. And even if they're just playing, start off playing Blitz online as kids or whatever, you have the opportunity to find the talent or rather the talent has an opportunity to find itself so that's one of the reasons too that for the, the the carlson and then the people after him on a, have to be seen at a higher level where where steinitz is you know i mean great fantastic player lasker too but the number of people that they're playing against is so much smaller at that time for example um especially steinitz at the time of steinitz playing this Russia hasn't even begun to develop as a chess nation. So it really is just Western Europe at that time. Okay. I'm about to reveal our final rankings for everyone to see. And <laughs> you guys are ready. Um, we didn't, we didn't talk tiebreakers. I don't know how we're doing doing a big tiebreaker here, but there's our list. I'll read it out for everyone that's uh, that's listening. In number 10, nine total points, we have Capablanca. In ninth place with uh, 10 points coming from one source, we have Philidor. Number eight, we have also with 10 points, uh, Morphe. Number seven, Botvinnik. Number six, Lasker. Number five, Alekhine. Number four, Karpov. Number three, uh, and number two, are both Kasparov and Fisher tied with 25 points. So they're tied for second. And then Carlson 
and just narrowly edges them out uh, with a first place finish, 26 total points for Magnus. Wow. So um, there you have it, folks. A very clear top three, you know, even despite our differences. Yeah, um, wow, they really came in in a pack, those three. Yeah. Yeah, so if that's if that's not scientific, I don't know. I don't know what is. Um, Steinitz, the honorable mention with uh, seven points just at the end there. And uh, and honestly, yeah. if we just take out the absurdity of Philidor at number nine, just like pretend that wasn't there. It's a pretty good list. That's a pretty good list. No, it's just a question of if if he's even. It's just tough. It's just tough to count him in. You know, these lists are always very hard. Yeah, I mean, if you want to make a list from like 1900 to the modern day, then your list makes sense. And it's difficult to include people from pre-1900 with any degree of accuracy. So, I mean, I think that you guys ranked Morphe and Philidor very low, and you think I ranked him very high, but I recognize that it's hard to say where those two players should fall compared to modern day players. I, I think there's enough of a record on Morphe that if you, that if you really wanted to, you could include him, but... Yeah. Yeah, we should have started it with Morphe. That that we should have done that. <laughs> yeah, I mean if so you can bump everybody up for me and put uh and you know Botvinnik would be in my 10th spot and he'd get one more point and tie with Lasker, but yeah. Yeah, yeah not, I think it's more fun this way. <laughs> All right folks, that's the immortal list. <laughs> Top 10 greatest players. There you have it. Um yeah, that's going to do it. Thanks for thanks for tuning in. 